Hi, my name is Leslie Bustard. Welcome to The Square Halo, a place for conversation with friends who have shared their ideas in our Square Halo books. In this episode, I talk with Robert Bigley, director of choral activities at Lancaster Bible College, an actor, a singer, and the executive director of the Trust Performing Arts Center. He wrote an essay for It Was Good, Performing Arts to the Glory of God. Rob, I'm really glad you're here. And you're here in my living room. Here we are. Sitting in these comfortable chairs. Yes. Because it's raining outside. outside, And we have to figure out how not to have the rain sound on our podcast. It's very artsy. It is very, with the low light. Yes. It's great. (laughs) I'm interviewing you because, not just because we're friends and we've known each other for about a decade. decade. And we've done uh, theater together and you and Ned have done, collaborated together. Um, but you wrote for our It Was Good, Performing Arts to the Glory of God. Yeah. And your essay was about really your, what you feel is your calling, mm-hmm. the work that you do in the green room. Right. And so your essay is called The Gospel right. in the Green Room. Right. I want to then talk about you, talk about your calling mm-hmm. and how you ended up coming to what your calling is. Mm-hmm. You're already someone who makes art. You make music. You help other people make music. But you state that you feel like you're calling or your mission statement. And you make sure in the essay to say, this is mine. Right. This is not yours, the reader. You'll right. find what yours is. But your mission statement is to is three-part. Uh, be a missionary to other performing artists, mentor and a teacher to young artists, and advocate for talented Christians who desire careers in the arts. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be? How did you come to realize those are the places that I'm going to land and I'm going to focus on? Right. And so I think even in the essay, I say something that I, that all of our missions should be, should be to be obedient and available to Christ. And uh, so as I, over the course of, of decades, um, I was able to sort of look back and say, okay, this seems to be where God has been steering me. And I seem to be most effective when I'm engaging in these things. And so that's really where those three things came out. And it does now help me to filter out some opportunities mm-hmm. where I say, well, does this really match up with what I've seen, where I've seen God's hand of providence work in my life consistently are in those three areas. And if an opportunity comes along, Kendra and I have developed, Kendra's my wife, um, we've developed a saying nice but not necessary yes so if something if a neat opportunity comes along and i look at it and it's gonna it's gonna cost a good deal of time or or what have you then i'll compare it to these three things and does this fit where god Mm -hmm. seems to be using me i'm always excited to go a different direction i love change but does it line up with how god has worked in my life in the past and uh, so that's how I use those. And, and they aren't necessarily prescriptive as much as they are a filter for me. So the answer to your question is, it's been over the course of time. I've seen God use me very specifically and by his grace in really wonderful ways in those three areas. And so that's where I, seem, that's where I choose to focus the majority of my time now. So it seems, if I to connect a few dots... You start your career and you're learning your career. You're learning. And you stayed in the book and you're very blunt about it, which made me smile, that you are talented. Right. And we have to be willing to say, where where am I talented? Yes. And then you say, but talent, you can't just stick with talent. You have to develop those skills. And that's the work so that the talent that you have can actually be used 
well or with excellence. Right. So it sounds like there's this this you're always working on your skill. I can imagine, but it seems you had a lot of schooling, kind of beginning of that of your journey. Yeah. And then is it the steps of I'm going to take this job. I'm going to take this job, mm-hmm. and over time you end up paying attention and seeing what's... Because you didn't come up with this mission statement, this calling At the in your 30s. Right, um, right. It's a, it's yeah. a over time. Yes, and over... And for me, I'm a, I'm a very slow learner. And uh, like even in school, I was a solid B student. I'm also lazy, so there's that. But so for me, even in developing my craft... I was. I remember early on being frustrated. I was actually 25. I was the director of the Miami Youth Symphony, and I actually, on my 21st birthday, I shed some tears because I wasn't who Leonard Bernstein was when he was 25. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking back on that now, that's laughable. But at the time, we celebrate wunderkinds, right? We celebrate the the people that are uh, amazing what they do at 20. Yes. Um, and there was a book that was very helpful to me uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Yes, me too. Eugene and, Peterson. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the, so the, the idea of slow and steady wins the race, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love that now, looking back, I love that I wasn't a flashy, really incredibly well-respected young conductor and that now I'm, I'm gaining credibility as I grow older and my, you know, I just turned 50. So this was a half of my life ago. I was frustrated that I wasn't who I am now, yes. you know? And, uh, I think that's really gracious of God to, to have allowed me to do that. Cause I don't think I would have handled that well. Uh, I don't remember what your question was, but I'm having a delightful time talking <laughs> I, I about to... <laughs> myself. <laughs> it is always fun, right? But I was thinking, it made me think about, we do, I do hear so many young people wanting to figure out, figure it out so quickly right. and have what success looks quickly. Yeah. And, and I'm not unsympathetic. We, Ned and I talked a lot about that in our early twenties. What yeah. is success going to look like? Right. Um, especially what is it? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it recognition? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it really the same for you is the same for Ned. It seems that as we keep getting older, the work is still there and the skills are being built. Right. And then there's even a different aspect of the work, which is this blessing of people that you didn't, I know I didn't expect when we were yes. in our 20s. Yes. Um, and I think that's, and I think that's back to the point is, I think it's dangerous to create that mission statement in your 20s. Yes. Because you're still developing your craft. You're still, uh, we're always developing as, as followers of Christ. But, uh, and like I said, I, I think that mission statement came along probably in my, in my early 30s. I'd gone through the turmoil of the 20s, the terrible 20s, um, <laughs> which were actually great. But, uh, and, and I think I also mentioned in this essay about reading Roaring Lambs, yes. uh, where he was calling you know, the church to see the world of performing arts as a mission field. Mm-hmm. And so that started to stir up in me. And so then, you know, by the time I was 30, I was like, okay, I think this is sort of what I'm about. And that that's where those three things started to develop. And that seems to be, it seems that I got it right, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and I was asking you earlier that idea of you are an artist in the music world right. and as a conductor mm-hmm. and but also as an actor yeah. and you've also directed theater mm-hmm. um, your mission statement has nothing to do about making art right yeah and 
it's because that's just who I am. Um, and the, the idea that, uh, that I would have to put in, into my mission statement to do art mm-hmm. in, in, in these ways, whatever, um, is like you and I mentioned early off, off, off camera, off mic <laughs> is, uh, for me to say, you know, including my mission statement, I'm going to breathe in such a way that is, you know, I'm just an artist. And I don't mean that in any aloofness or anything. That's just who, who I am. Mm-hmm. So the essay is titled The Gospel in the Green Room. Mm-hmm. What's the green room? So the green room in a theater is the the social place for the actors and crew. So for instance, when you are when you have what's called your call time, you in so in equity theater and I'm in an equity production right now, you are required to be at the theater one half hour before the the curtain. And so uh, t- tonight we have a 7.30 show. I have to be there at 7 o'clock at the latest. And we, you have to sign in on the sign-in board. And then you, at that point, can do whatever you want as long as you're in the building. Most people go sit in the, in the green room, which think of it as sort of the living room backstage mm-hmm. for, uh, for the artists. You also have your dressing room where you go and your costumes are. That's a different room altogether. And in my dressing room, there's one, two, three, four other men. And, um, and so sometimes there's a little, you know, interaction that happens there, but the real community happens in, in, in the green room that half hour before, uh, during intermission. And, uh, so that's where, that's where the life on life thing happens. And that's where, where I found that God has used me the most. I, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the book, but it really hit me when I was doing a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I was playing Schroeder and I was getting laughs and I was singing on stage and it was a lot of fun. But I realized that, that the audience members' lives weren't really changed by that. There are some productions that, yes, granted, you know, maybe it's going to have a different impact. But God used that moment for me because I realized that the lives that were being changed were the lives backstage or in the green room as God was using me to have conversations with my castmates. And that's when I had sort of that aha moment. Okay, this is, this is really significant. And in many ways, it's an unreached people group in this book that I referenced, uh, Roaring Lambs. He talks about surveys that were given, and one of them was about specifically about the world of dance, and uh, what they discovered that in in that in that community there are fewer Christians per capita than any other job field. Really? Yeah, and that extends also into theater, and so it's it's amazing. And if I can jump to a, a current situation, yes. so uh, this program that I was that I was brought in to, uh, recruited to, to start at Lancaster Bible College uh, includes a I started a musical theater program exactly a decade ago I started a musical theater program and it's now a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater and we have uh, including my daughter who's coming into the fall in that program there are four Lancaster Bible College BFA musical theater students that are in this production with me and we're all in the ensemble and What's amazing, and I've never seen this happen in secular theater before, God is using that core group of, of believers to permeate this cast in a way that I hadn't expected. I, had, I knew that I was there, and I mentioned it in the book, to share the gospel, but what he's using is this, this cluster of light 
is bringing out of the closet the other people that are gospel carriers who had mm-hmm. been hiding the fact that they were Christians because they were in this very dark theater world um, where it's not celebrated to be a Christian. They were sort of hiding in, in uh, the fact that they were Christians. And so now that there's this core group of Christians and they can't hide behind anything because in their bio it says Lancaster Bible College on mm-hmm. it. Um, the, the, the dressing room where my daughter is uh, has a total of 10 young ladies that are anywhere from 18 to 25, 26, and uh, all of them claim to be Christians. Hmm. Well, if you would survey 10, 10 young women in theater, um, th- th- you wouldn't find that. But because there's other Christians in that dressing room, these other young ladies are coming out and saying, well, I'm a Christian too. And you know, some of them are Episcopalian, some are Baptist, two are Catholic, but they're all claiming to be Christians, hmm. where I've never seen that happen in theater. Usually you, the idea is you hide the fact that you're a Christian. Uh, because uh, American evangelicalism has uh, evangelicalism that word has sometimes in that world uh, given Christian Christianity a bad name because yes. of the the deadly detours that we followed uh, yes. in in uh, fighting whatever. So so then you have this group now that are going to church together, and then now the non-Christians are starting to come with them to church and saying, Hey, are we going to come do this next Sunday? And Mm. it's just so amazing to see. So amazing to see. And the fun thing is, is that I had nothing to do with it. Mm. I can't point to any of these people and say, I shared the gospel with this person. And you know, um, it's just God working through his children. And it's just amazing to see. Well, in your essay, you do talk about, this idea of, you say, part of my mission statement is to be a missionary to performing artists. Yeah. But you also are very thorough in discussing that it's that no one is a project. That right. I'm not there to be um, a missionary in the sense that I'm better or I'm lording it over them or right. they're my project. You really talk a lot about it. I'm in the green room. I'm here basically to give a cup of living water yeah. and I'm here to love. Yeah. So you're, so your mission statement really is about outward focus and true love yes. on people. Yes. Um, it's not about this project that you're going to participate in. Right. It's really about this aspect of really caring and developing real friendships yeah. with people. Yeah, it's true. And I think it's, I don't, I don't know if I could extend this beyond my personal experience, but for me, it was important to find my people. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that uh, although I work in many different fields, I, I enjoy working with other arts administrators and I enjoy working with other conductors and I certainly love working with my choral students. But when I'm hanging out with actors, like these are my people, like oh. this is these people, we speak each other's heart language. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there is so much more in common that I have with, with these people that I have that's not even as a believer and there is non non-believers there is no wall between us in that we just uh, have so much shared life experience in our own circles that we could come together and speak the same language and uh, if God is gracious enough to allow me the opportunity to to with words share the gospel with them then I get to rejoice in that but I also I get to rejoice in the company of people who I love just as I get to rejoice in a great chocolate cake you know mm-hmm. it's a, they're both gifts from God mm-hmm. and they're both examples of common grace and beyond that these are people that are made in the image of God 
And so I get to celebrate God through these relationships, uh, whether or not I get to share the four spiritual laws with them. You know? Right, right. So you're not you're not looking going into a room or going into the green room or on the stage going, I'm gonna hone in right on yeah. that person so I can or I'm gonna pay attention to this conversation so somehow I can say Jesus. I'm I'm so glad you you asked that question that way because I was thinking of this analogy and I thought, should I share this? And now I'm gonna share it. We are not called when we are called to be the light of the world, we're not called to be flashlights. Hmm. We're called to be lanterns. Hmm. And uh, and and so our light should radiate around us. We're not to be shining. We're not searchlights. Yes. Um, and so as we radiate Christ's love as the light of the world, then he will, people will be drawn to, to Christ. And I remember having a conversation with a student of mine back at the college where I taught in Seattle, which was a secular college. Um, and he just loved to hang out in my office. And eventually I, and, and he knew that I was a believer and he wasn't a believer. And eventually I said to him, you, you, you know, you're not going to believe this, but the reason you really want to hang out with me is not because I'm a cool guy. It's because I am carrying Christ with me. And the answers to your life are I, I'm carrying within me. And we should have a conversation about that sometime. Hmm. And, but that was after like a semester. This kid just, can I just sit in your office and just hang out with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know? So I didn't go searching for that kid. You know, I don't, and, and I think that anyone that would say, you know, you, you need to hone in on this person and corner them and share the gospel with them. I think they've missed, missed the story. Yeah. It seems like you really have to know that you really are carrying a cup of living water yeah. and real life for people right. and that you really know it and believe it. Not yes. that there aren't struggles, but, um, you are rooted deeply in, in what salvation is. Right. Um, so that you can share that out of love. I mean, I'm really taken by what you just said to that young boy. Like, yeah. really, it's Christ in me right. that's drawing you to right. me, yeah, yeah. not me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you say that in your book about yeah. in this essay about, and I was taken by that too. That I'm actually offering you a cup of living water, and you really are thirsty. Right. <laughs> and I think right. sometimes it's easy to forget that that's really the truth. Yeah. Um, I think we're used to. Um, Especially, I'm not gifted with evan- with the gift of evangelism, mm-hmm. and so I would probably be a little bit shyer in knowing how to say that. But I find right. the fact that do I really believe it, and do I really believe that other people really need it? Yeah, need him. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that that some evangelism training has done a disservice to the mm-hmm. kingdom and and to put uh, the the wrong sort of responsibility on people. The idea that we're saving anyone is, is heresy. Yes. And, um, and so what I've found is it has got to come out. So I, I don't love the idea of street evangelism, uh, because I, because we are called to make disciples and it's very difficult to make a disciple with somebody that you're handing a track and talking to for five minutes and then moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my experience, it's been through relationship and that's why I can't remember if I mentioned it in the essay or not. But the, the wonderful thing about acting is that you're in a show with somebody, you start a relationship, you start conversations, and then four years later, you're in a show with them again. You might not see them in that span of time. Now with social media, it's a little bit different thing because you know you have things to talk about, right? Because like, hey, I saw you did this, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it's those ongoing and now it's lifelong conversations, and really. 
uh, I, I heard this at some friends that were missionaries in, in Western Europe, and they were saying that they, when somebody comes to Christ, it almost always works out that their first exposure to a gospel carrier was seven years earlier. I've heard the same thing. Have you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's a, that's a long process, and that wouldn't sell books at all. You know, and that's so slow. <laughs> exactly. Shouldn't, shouldn't God be thinking about being quicker right. on these type of things? Right. But He's so patient, yeah, and He's so personal yeah. to allow that to be part of people's journeys. Mm-hmm. That it, it can, He allows it to take that long. And I was also listening to you and thinking that there have been times I remember hearing people talking about, well, let's make sure we get that person saved because think about what that can do for the kingdom. Yeah. I don't hear you speaking that way. No. Um, and I, I don't want this all to come across cynical, but I think we've got to get rid of those thoughts that somehow Absolutely. this one key person should come to Jesus so that something big can happen for the kingdom. Right. It's really about like, people yeah when you think about who jesus chose during his lifetime um you know really paul would be the only one that you could and that wasn't even during jesus's you know earthly uh, ministry um that would be like sort of the the, uh, that's a great one to save right there true like Um, that would be yeah but the rest of them the people he hung out with were were not uh the ones yeah yeah that's oh i mean he really christ really does show us that He's about restoration and reconciliation and saving. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go towards people and not towards projects right. because he's he's going back and he's restoring. Right. And anything that we can offer is minimal compared to what he works. Right. You know, so it you, just yeah, it doesn't matter what somebody's resume looks like. No. They're not going to be more helpful to the gospel than somebody that has no resume. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it goes back to the idea that it's not projects, it's not that flashlight, it's the the people who God has put you with. Yeah. Who you're with. Yes, and to the extent, so I remember my as, a, as an early, I came to Christ when I was 20, and I was already an artist, and I remember thinking, okay, if ever I get a Tony Award or something, I'm going to make sure I thank Jesus Christ on the stage, because that's really going to be the impact that Christ wants me to have. Millions right. of people are going to hear that. And I was just thinking, about, I was just watching the Tonys with the cast that I'm in right now, and, and it was really fun to watch because they've all worked on Broadway, and so they know like all the people that won the Tonys. Those are really that's blast. really that's, Yeah, it was hilarious. Um, but uh, I remember thinking for the first time, and that's not nece- necessary and not even necessarily helpful to the gospel to say, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Christian from the right. stage, I'm going to say it, because it's going to be life on life mm-hmm. where Christ is going to work. And... Um, and in some ways, it's almost as meaningful to not say anything in a public stage like that, but for everyone around you to know that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think about that also as you've been talking, this idea of the farmer who generously throws out the seed, mm-hmm. and he's, he's throwing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not saying, wow, if I put seeds over there, right. that's what's going to get... I mean, there's the wisdom kind of thing. Of course, sure. you want to plant in the right yeah, places. Right, right. But he's he's generous in how he's... Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds that this idea of being life on life, the goal is to love and to build relationships. So when you talk about being in the green room, you have some... These are almost like a... Not a to-do list, but make sure you're thinking these this way. Yeah. Think, think this way to help you be in the green room. And the first right. one is 
be prepared. Yeah. You say show up to the first rehearsal with everything learned. Yeah. So talk about that. Yeah. And I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone on that because I'm a terrible memorizer. And so I have to work really, really hard to be prepared in that way. And I've been embarrassed once in my career about that. And I decided, well, I'm not going to do that anymore uh, for my own pride, but then also because of my testimony, like I'm talking about in the book. Um, I was thinking about uh, the passage where um, in the New Testament where it says about being above reproach. Hmm. Um, so that any accusation that's laid against you is uh, has something to do with Christ and not about your work or or your civility or what what have you, and I think this really plays into that. Um, you you want to approach any career, but especially this one where you're being judged all the time, um, as as if this this is what's going to give me my opportunity to share the gospel, and. Um, and your your talent and your and your skill is going to get you your first job. You go in that audition, you're going to get the job. But it's your work ethic, and um, and your performance that's going to get you a career. And that's really what I when I'm talking with young people that I say that a lot. Like, mm-hmm. listen, you've you've got to show up so that. So, for instance, um, this is the the music director for this show was the music director for this theater last time I I did a, a show with them and uh, we did Newsies. And he knows that I can sight read like crazy, that I'm going to learn all of my notes. And so he oftentimes will have me partner up with somebody to help them learn their part. And and I know that when they're having conversations about casting the next show, he's saying, hey, get this big league guy because he's going to anchor that that, that men's section. Um, and that's because I did the work. I did the work ahead of time in developing my skill. And I do the work in, in preparation for the individual project. Um, and so we want to be beyond reproach when it comes to our work. Uh, so that's, that's really that, that yes. idea there. So there's that idea of your work glorifies God, mm-hmm. but your work also is a light. Yeah, exactly. So that you can be above reproach. And that's, and that's like a baseline thing because there's non-believers that are going to do it as well, if not better than you. Exactly. So you, you might as well do it as well as you can. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, Earl Grove saying, uh-huh. talking to me about some of the things in he would be a part of um, auditions and mm. aud- um, casting shows yes. for a whole season. Right. And so he'd be in on that. And it would be in, an, in a more mainstream setting. Right. And he was most of the time frustrated with people he knew or somehow knew were Christians. Because mm-hmm. they, they, they had the reputation of not coming yeah. as prepared as they should be. Yeah, that's not okay. And that's not okay. And he just right. talked about how you need to be so excellent at what you do right um that always was in my mind Mm -hmm. which does mean a lot of training and and work and i have to think about that when i accept a role because uh sometimes i I will sort of look ahead this whole nice but not necessary thing Mm -hmm. in some ways acting is that in my life you know i mean but but it's also because i work at a christian institution it's the only time one of the only times i get life on life with non-believers and so i'm I, I usually get excited about that, and I love acting. But I'll look at a role, and I and I and I look at the rest of my life, and I'm like, I don't have time to memorize that well. Mm. And if I don't, then I'm not going to take the role. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because because for me, there are people that with photographic memories that look at it at it, and they've got the whole show memorized. That's I cannot do that. Always amazing to me. God bless them, but I cannot do that. And so mm-hmm. I have to take that into consideration when I'm when I'm considering a role. 
which I, so I love my favorite roles are the are the scene stealers you know they come in they got five lines they're usually hilarious they sing one song they get off stage or they sing in the ensemble the rest of the time those are my favorite roles <laughs> I actually prefer those over lead roles because then you're also in the ensemble and you're and you're with more people mm-hmm. um, and oftentimes when you're a lead you're isolated you got your dressing room and that's it um, so there's less to memorize and there's more people time. Exactly. It's my perfect <laughs> it's world. It's the sweet spot. <laughs> know um, thyself. <laughs> right. Well, it does not take a lot. Sometimes a lot. You say you're a slow learner. Yeah. I feel like I am too. Oh, yeah. That would take me a long time to learn. Right. I, these are the ways I need to make wise decisions right. for the work that I do. Yeah. Well, it's more self-glorifying to have the lead role right. too. Right. And so that's where I think that, you know, the, the hard knocks of, of being a young adult sort of helped me through that and I'm still living by the grace of God. (laughs) Another one you have is be humble. Yeah. You say, if your director gives you a correction, take it and say, thank you. Yes. Oh, talk about that. It's so painful to watch actors try to explain to a director what they were thinking in the moment, because here's what happens. You're in a blocking rehearsal. The director tells you, uh, I want you to go stage left instead of stage right here. And then there's usually 20 other people waiting for their next thing and they're watching you argue with the director over why you should really be going stage right or the the inverse or whatever I said earlier and um and it it causes you, you can't even imagine how much distaste it causes in everyone in the room just just take take the note and say thank you and move on um and so many times I feel like when, when an actor is arguing with a director or even discussing with a director about a situation like that, especially in front of other people, is to save face yes. rather than to really get their artistic vision across. And you don't need to do that. You just put, that's a gr- in fact, that's a great exercise, young Christians, to uh, put pride to death mm-hmm. is to humbly take a note and move on. You will not get rehired if you're if you have the reputation of of defending all of your decisions yes. all the time, and if it's really really important to you, then you have a discussion with the stage manager later. Mm-hmm. Another one is it says live the gospel mm-hmm. that you say, and you you have the disclaimer that many people don't really like this quote, yeah. but the Saint Francis it says preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Yeah. Later on, you say. You have to use words. Yes. And I think you've already covered this a little bit already. But that idea of um, what's your life like? Mm -hmm. You also are pretty direct that you're going to go out with lots of people. Like if someone asks you to go out, Mm -hmm. go out with them. Absolutely. Go and socialize. I don't mean dates. Right. (laughs) Socialize. And you might, maybe your background is not to go out to bars. Right. A lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, but you, you are very pointed about um, don't go play in mud puddles with them. Yeah. What so, does that look like? So very much. So this, this, rec- this recently happened and I didn't take the opportunity and it killed me all night long. Um, I was in, because I had some other things going on, I, I, I chose not to go out with a cast when they invited me to go out with them. And those moments for me feel like the man from Macedonia moment when, when mm. Paul, was it Paul? when Paul has this vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come to us, you know, and, and that wasn't part of his plan, but he's going to go to them. When non-believers, uh, especially castmates, ask me to hang out with them, I, I'm going to try my very best to do it because that's, that's, so the green room is one place. 
in the green nobody really hangs out in the green room other than that half hour before or during intermission so that's sort of stage one it's the life on life outside of the theater where you're really going to have those conversations and like it or not they happen really really well when when the other people are drinking Mm -hmm. Uh, because all the inhibitions fall away and you get to have these conversations they oftentimes end in tears and so please follow scripture when it comes to alcohol young people and old people Um, and if you don't if you have a conviction that you're not to drink at all I highly recommend uh, tonic and lime just get a tonic or a soda and lime because if you're paranoid about people thinking whether or not you're you're drinking they will just think you have a gin and tonic Um, but even beyond that, the, the director of the theater where I'm doing a show right now doesn't drink. Everybody knows it. And so he, when they invite him out, he'll have a glass of water or a Coke or something. So the whole idea of I have to go drinking with my friends is you don't have to do that. In fact, you probably shouldn't, or if you do, limit yourself to one drink. And if you end up being the designated driver, then you're a hero. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a whole different culture that happens there. I didn't get into the, in, in the book, but if they ask you to, to go hang out with them, then by all means, if you're available to do it, then please do it because that's where you're going to find those gospel moments happening. And those conversations are going to happen from that because that's when they're going to tell you about the, their awful childhood or, or what have you, where you're going to be able to bring light into their situation. Um, don't play in mud puddles with them goes to the other end. Don't get drunk with them. Don't start cursing with them, all, all this other stuff, because they want you to be light. They want you to be a rock. And, uh, and they, they might not seem like it and you might not feel as cool as them, but, um, coolness doesn't get us to heaven, you know? Uh, and so it's, um, it's a, it's a matter of, you still have to live your testimony in front of them. But at the same time, don't condemn them for being who they are. Right. Um, if if what they're doing is unhealthy and you actually love them and you have a conversation with them as you would with anyone, listen, I really think you're hurting yourself by doing this thing. That's one thing. But don't tell them that God wouldn't want them to do that mm-hmm. because they don't care about God right. yet. <laughs> so you're going to live like light. You're yeah. not going to be a flashlight. You're going to be, what did you say? You're going to be a lantern. A yeah. lantern. Yeah, yeah. And not a flashlight. You're going to be a lantern mm-hmm. um, in how you live and how you are in loving people. Mm-hmm. But then you say use words. Mm-hmm. Why do you say that? Well, because, uh, because we can't be saved without knowing how to be saved, right? Uh, so that's, that's when we look for this opportunity to share the gospel. Now, again, I'm not in these relationships in order to share the gospel. I'm in these relationships because God calls me to love people, and I love people. Um, And uh, and I don't know who he saved. I don't know who he's called uh, before the foundations of the earth. But I do know that when given the opportunity, I shouldn't be, number one, ashamed of the gospel. And number two, should be eager to to offer that that living water. Um, So I'll... You, I, for me, I've often sensed in a conversation with somebody, this really could turn into a conversation about salvation. And so while I'm having the conversation, I am in my mind praying. Yeah. And uh, God, if this is an opportunity for me to share the good news, would you, would you please give me that opportunity? And then it will usually become really obvious. Um, and, uh, and at that point, I'll say, well, listen, you know, you know that my life is based on following Christ. Uh, and when I was dealing with this thing, uh, that I, I can't imagine dealing with this without Christ. Do you want, do you want me to tell you more about that? 
Like, I think there's a solution here, and I think the solution is bigger than what you even imagine, mm-hmm. or something like that. It's just going to be generic, and, and it's going to be appropriate for my friendship with that person. I'm not, and that's why I don't like scripted evangelistic things. Or I, I mentioned the four spiritual laws earlier, and I have nothing against those except that I've never really used them. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, it's just going to be a natural outpouring of your conversation with them. Uh, again, nobody's a project. Uh, they're all created in the image of God, and they all need to hear the gospel. And the question is, um, when is that moment going to happen? And uh, and then if and if they reject it at that moment, then he, this is also important to me. I never want somebody to feel like, and I, and I've had this happen to me multiple times, um, where I've shared the gospel with them, they just weren't ready in that moment, or they may not receive it. But I never wanted them to feel like if you, this doesn't happen, we're not friends anymore. And I feel like a lot of Christians fail on that. And then once they share the gospel, the person doesn't receive Christ, they move on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know of people where that's happened in their lives, and it's, uh, it's, it's painful. Mm-hmm. You know? then, then it's Because then they realize you you're a see, project. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, you talk about the importance of prayer and the importance of being in a church. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Why prayer? I mean, I know why prayer, but it's just good right. to encourage each other yeah. in, in the means of grace of prayer, but mm-hmm. then also the means of grace of church life. Church life is hard. Yep. So. Yeah. Well, prayer uh, is, it's, you know, I'm reading Madeline Lingle right now, who was a prayer warrior, and uh, and even somebody like her has not didn't figure it out in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to be obedient. I, I remember hearing early on as a Christian that prayer is just having a conversation with God and I try to have an ongoing conversation because he's always present with me and I'm the kind of person that if somebody else is in the room I can't not pay attention to them and so so I sort of treat prayer that way mm-hmm. uh, God is present all the time and so I bring him into every mental conversation I'm having um, what I'm not great at is dedicated prayer time uh, and I probably should be better at that but that that's the great thing about it is that we all we all know we don't do it enough right you know um but also it's 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 important for the whole idea of being uh uh do not be uh conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind well that transformation is only going to happen in prayer and in uh in reading scripture and uh to be conformed it means to do nothing uh, and I love the analogy that I heard that, you know, you pour jello into a mold. It doesn't do anything. It just I love that. Performs. Did I mention that in the yeah, essay? But say yeah, it yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was great. So, so if you want jello to be the form of a fish, you just pour jello into a form of a fish and it just becomes that. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there and becomes a fish. You put it in the refrigerator, you dump it out. It's a, it's a jello fish. Yes. Um, and then, uh, but be to transformed takes work. Yes. And um, not only are we to avoid being conformed by just being doing nothing, but we have to move forward in our faith and in our relationship with Christ. And so, uh, so I think that's that's just that aspect of it. Um, the church part of it is important uh, for for everyone to hear, but also I think artists, especially actors, who so much of their career is on the road. And that's why I just happened to mention that I found the beauty of being in. Uh, in a denomination is because I can go into a town and look up and see where the PCA church is um, or the, the ones that are closely associated with if I can't find one and know that we're going to, that I'm going to feel at home. Um, we should all feel at home in, in any church we go to, but we know that that's not quite true. Um, 
so so I could be plugged in there. And we're gonna have we're gonna speak a common Christianese. We're gonna speak. Um, we're, we're gonna have. Typically, we're going to have friends uh, from different places. Uh, my daughter just moved to the New York area to pursue her career in dance, and she went to visit the local uh, Presbyterian. Remember the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. She and her husband went to visit the local PCA church, and lo and behold, there was somebody from our church who was there because their grandchild was being baptized. Oh, that's so fun. there's this interconnectivity that happens, yeah. you know, that uh, that I think is great. But also, you have to be in relationship with with people in the church um, who are going to remind you that you're not just an actor. You're mm-hmm. also a human and created in the image of God. And you're, you're also a community member of, of a body uh, where we're going to hold you accountable. We're also going to be praying for you. And we're also going to celebrate what God's doing in your life. Mm-hmm. And because like I mentioned earlier, that story about the LBC students and these other Christians coming out of the woodwork in our cast uh, in Mamma Mia, they all felt isolated. And that's, we know that that's how our enemy works is to isolate you and make you feel like you're absolutely alone and then devastate you. And um, so I think that's why being, you know, obviously being plugged into your local church, but knowing that a life in professional acting is going to take you uh, sometimes all over the world is, is be preemptively decide how am I going to be plugged into the local church wherever I am. And for me, I think that the most logical answer is to find a denomination that that you can be comfortable being a part of. Be a part of. So in your in your essay, you say, "Remember, you are not selling Amway here. You are simply ready to share a cup of living water with a thirsty friend. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, you are truly listening while earnestly praying. In my experience, the Holy Spirit eventually reveals what I call a Mars Hill moment. Mm -hmm. Paul used the Athenians' altar to an unknown God as his opportunity to tell the people gathered on Mars Hill about the God who could be known. You will use your friend's story of anguish, loneliness, or fear to tell them about the God who can turn their mourning into dancing, the God who will never leave them or forsake them, the God whose perfect love casts out fear. When they indicate that they want to know more, you will tell them that the reason why they don't know God is because of the veil of sin that separates them from Him. And you will tell them that the only way to know Him is to be forgiven of their sins through the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. They will ask a lot of questions about this. Be prepared, know the scriptures, and use the word to answer them. Just was encouraged by all of mm-hmm. that. Those I was were encouraged just by good it too. Things to hear. <laughs> it just made my actually brought tears to my eyes thinking about these are all things that all humans are going through: the loneliness yeah. and the anguish, and that we need to remember that that's why God gave us Jesus. Yeah. So. Yeah, and hearing you read that, I actually got teary-eyed hearing you read it because I, so many memories flooded back of those conversations. Yes. You end it saying, "To review, be a great colleague, love the lost." Live a life of hope. Speak the truth. Repeat. <laughs> so those are, I think, and I was saying this to you earlier, I think we actually, whether we're in theater, we need to keep remembering all of those things as we move out into the world. Right. Um, especially as it seems our day and age is so, we keep saying it's so polarized or it's so, we're all, we all seem to be so against each other for one reason or another. Right. And we're showing that. That Christ really isn't yeah. against. He's really for. And I think the antidote to that is joy. Yes. And I think I mentioned in the essay that you know we are we are 
we're commanded to give an answer for the joy that's within us. Yes. If you don't have joy, then you don't have no, you have nothing to answer for. Right. And uh, and I think that so many Christians have gotten that wrong. I think that we we uh, have allowed the world to to steal our joy to the sense that we really have nothing to offer. So any other last minute thoughts as we talk about the gospel in the green room or your life as an art maker? Yeah, I would say uh, my my encouragement is uh, in the big picture, find your people and uh, and then just follow Christ in their midst hmm. and watch God work. Uh, if, as long as you're obedient to Christ in, in that and doing the work as unto him, you'll see him work. And it will look differently for you than it will for me or for Leslie or for Ned um, because we're all created differently. And I love the idea that we're all created in the image of God, but none of us look exactly the same. Right. You know, in any way. Well, thank you, Rob. You're welcome. That's all been wonderful. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to The Square Halo. You can download a free sample from the title we discussed today by visiting the podcast page at squarehalobooks.com. In art, a square halo identified a living person who was considered to be a saint. Square Halo Books is devoted to publishing works useful for equipping and encouraging today's saints. I hope you are encouraged and will join me again for other conversations.